listening to Understanding Christianity. I am your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor of Old and New Testament, systematic theology, church history, and many other courses at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. It's been a while since I've come in and recorded a standalone. I've been really busy with teaching courses, uh, leading our church, uh, teaching on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, uh, just doing all the things related to ministry that it's sometimes difficult to come in and record a standalone podcast in regards to some of the issues that I have done in the past regarding Reformed theology, um, interacting with traditional Southern Baptists, provisionists, um, Arminians, things like that. And so I do want to address um, a, a statement or a series of statements that were somewhat confusing that were made by um, a leading provisionist, Leighton Flowers. You know that I've interacted with him many times over the past five or six years. I appreciate his work. I appreciate his, uh, his cordial attitude, uh, but I was listening to a podcast where he was interacting, uh, I can't even remember what, it, what the name of it was, I think it was called Rebutting Calvinists, it was a YouTube clip, and this is about a 45 second to a minute uh, clip that I took from that that was somewhat confusing, um, I wish he'd give a little bit more clarity on it, but it's ultimately the question that I, that I, that I want to ask is, what actually condemns a sinner to hell? Why is a person held accountable on the day of judgment? And so what Leighton Flowers argues in this statement is that basically it's rejecting Christ's words. It's rejecting the truth. It's as simple as that. And so I'll play the clip here in just a moment and we'll interact with it. Um, but my answer is that it's a whole lot more complicated than that. And, and I'll go on to give, give a biblical case. And let me just kind of state it up front. I believe that a person is held accountable for their sins, a person is sent to hell, a person is condemned for various reasons. Number one, because of original sin that they inherited from Adam, they're born in a condition that is corrupt and depraved. Number two, they inherit guilt and condemnation from Adam that renders them a child of wrath. And then from that na nature stem or flow actual sins committed in the body that we are accountable for. And we're also accountable for obeying God's law perfectly and for rejecting the gospel and rejecting Jesus. So there's many reasons, but it seems like, at least in this statement made by Leighton Flowers, he limits it to only one factor. And the only factor he limits it to is rejecting Christ. Now, this brings up a lot of issues of what it doesn't address, because if the only reason a person is condemned is for rejecting Christ, it brings up some issues related to anthropology of the human soul. Is a person totally depraved? Does a person inherit guilt from Adam? What's a person's relationship to keeping the law? And then it leads to another question. What about those who've never heard the gospel and even had an opportunity to even accept or reject the truth of the gospel? Why are they sent to hell? And so let's listen to the clip and then we'll interact with it. This is from Leighton Flowers in his YouTube clip, Rebutting Calvinists. I did not come to condemn the world. In other words, I'm not going to condemn you for all your falling short of the commandments of the law. The very words that I've spoken to you will be your judge on the final day. So you're not ultimately going to be held responsible for how many laws you broke. 
you're going to be held responsible for whether or not you trusted in Christ, period. That's that simple. I don't know how to make that more simple. That, that, that's the, the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is that you're not going to be held to account for all the wrongdoings. That's the good news. You're, 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 you're only going to be held to account as to whether you believe or not, if you trust in him or you don't. They perish because they refuse to accept the truth so as to be saved. Not they perish because they broke all the laws or they broke some of the laws. Okay? This is the good news. This is the gospel. Okay, basically, Leighton says that we'll only be judged on the final day for either rejecting or accepting the words of Christ. You're only going to be held accountable on whether you believe or not. So he uses words like ultimately and only, and he seems to be limiting it to just the only reason, the only reason, the fundamental ultimate reason that a person goes to hell is because they reject the gospel. And he uses two passages of Scripture. Jesus' words in John 12, 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Now, we take Jesus' words there that, yes, if you have rejected the words of Jesus, you will be judged on the last day for not receiving those words. And Jesus is specifically talking to the Pharisees in that passage of Scripture who were not accepting his words as coming from the Father. He also references 2 Thessalonians 9, and, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which are talking about the man of lawlessness. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Why are people perishing? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Okay, so... In these two passages of Scripture, we give a reason for perishing, a reason for judgment. One is a rejection of the words of Christ. The number two is the rejection of the truth, refusing to love the truth. And so why do people perish? Because they refuse to obey the truth. Um, not because they broke any laws or any rules. And so the question becomes, is that the only reason that a person perishes, is held accountable, is condemned on the final day, is because of a rejection of the gospel? Or are there other factors? What ultimately is their condemnation based upon? Are we responsible in any way to keep the commandments perfectly? So let's just talk about some of these passages of Scripture that were brought up. John chapter 3. 17 through 19, this comes right after John 3, 16. I listen to the words of, of John 3, 17 through 19. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. And he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So the reason that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world is because everyone is already born in a state of condemnation, a state of guilt. 
Ephesians 2, 3, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Jesus did not have to come to condemn us. That's a given. We're already under condemnation. We're already born as children of wrath. We're already born inheriting the sin and guilt of of Adam. Jesus' mission was not to come and bring more condemnation on us who were already condemned. The beauty of the gospel is that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to save us out of condemnation as the only way we could be saved from guilt. Verse 18 gives a great grammatical uh, clue here. In verse 18, being condemned already is in the perfect tense, which conveys a settled state of condemnation and unbelief. Um, I think the NIV translates it, stands condemned, is condemned already. It really means that without belief in Christ, every person is utterly already in a state of condemnation. It's already a given. That's your condition. So you're already condemned from birth whether or not you believe in Jesus. And the promise is if you believe in Jesus, you are not condemned. But you already stand condemned already. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All of us, every single one of us, to the oldest adult, to the newborn baby, are born in a state of rebellion and treason against God and stand condemned. So the reason why Jesus didn't come to condemn is because we already stand condemned. And how did that condemnation come? Well, the condemnation comes in our sinful nature, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, in this statement, Flowers also says, we will not ultimately be held responsible for all the laws we've broken. It's the good news that you won't be held accountable to all the wrongdoing. So you're not ultimately going to be held responsible for how many laws you broke. You're going to be held responsible for whether or not you trusted in Christ, period. That's that simple. I don't know how to make that more simple. That, that, that's the, the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is that you're not going to be held to account for all the wrongdoings. That's the good news. You're, 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 you're only going to be held to account as to whether you believe or not, if you trust in him or you don't. They perish because they refuse to accept the truth so as to be saved. Not they perish because they broke all the laws or they broke some of the laws. Okay, yeah. yeah. If for a Christian, if you trust in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to you, and so God can declare you righteous on account of the active obedience of Christ who obeyed all those laws perfectly on your behalf. But what about the person that doesn't trust Christ for salvation, who dies without the imputed righteousness of Christ? Are they judged on the basis of being responsible for keeping God's law? What does Paul have to say about this in the book of Galatians? Galatians 3, 10 through 12, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Basically what Paul is saying here is that if you want to be right before God, you must obey God's law perfectly. If not, you're under a curse. 
And Paul here quotes from Deuteronomy 27, which is an interesting story in Israel's history. Moses had commanded the people to keep the whole commandment of God. And as a dramatic way to show how impossible it was to keep the law and the devastating consequences of breaking the law, he divided the 12 tribes of Israel into two, two groups. Okay? Six tribes would stand on Mount Gerizim and would shout out blessings to the people on the other side. The other six tribes would stand on Mount Ebal and they would shout out curses to the other side. They would list off this litany of curses and shout it back to each other from the other side. And so the crescendo of the shouting curses back and forth to the tribes is the last verse in Deuteronomy 27, which Paul here quotes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Deuteronomy 27, 26, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people say amen. Here's Paul's point in quoting that verse in Galatians. Regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you want to be truly righteous or accepted or forgiven or clean or holy before God, all you have to do is obey His law perfectly. Now, what do I mean by perfectly? According to the Old Testament tradition, there were 242 positive laws that we should keep, and there are 365 negative laws that we should not break. Therefore, if you add those up, you need to keep perfectly 607 laws of God. And by the way, not just keep them by doing or not doing them, but also in your thought life and in what you say. In other words, you must perfectly keep all of God's laws in your thoughts, in your words, and in your deeds. The obedience needs to be comprehensive, personal, and perpetual. In other words, you need to be 100% accurate 100% of the time with God's law. And if not, you are under a curse. Now, what does it mean to be under a curse? It means to be condemned. So what condemns you? Failure to keep God's law perfectly. He also says that Scripture never once says that we'll perish because of Adam's sin. Over and over again, it says that we will each be held accountable for our response to the clear revelation of God. That's not, that's not in the clip that I played for you, but later on in that, in that, in that YouTube clip, in that podcast episode, he says that um, the Bible never once says that we'll perish because of Adam's sin. Okay, this is the whole issue of original sin, original guilt, which we find in Romans 5. But before we get to Romans 5, let me just quote to you Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Key little preposition there, under sin. What does it mean to be under sin? It's a condition that everyone is born with, where he or she is under the penalty, power, and pollution of sin. We're under sin's penalty. In other words, we're born guilty and we deserve the penalty of hell. We're under sin's power. We're born enslaved and cannot escape that sin as a dominating power in our lives. We're under sin's pollution. We're born corrupted and stained and depraved by nature. So fundamentally, every part of our nature, our mind, will, and emotions are in bondage to sin as a permanent enslaving condition. And that condition of being under sin is what condemns us. The wages of sin is death. It's very interesting when you look in the scriptures. Sometimes it will use the singular sin 
and sometimes it will use the plural sins. And so we're condemned not only for the sins, the actual sins that we commit, but we're also held accountable for being under sin as a condition, being condemned in Adam, being depraved by nature. Now, are we held accountable for Adam's sin? Is there condemnation that comes to us on account of just being born in Adam? Well, Paul makes that very clear in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now let's talk about Romans 5, 12. Because it teaches three very important truths about sin. Number one, sin came into the world through Adam, bringing with it the penalty of death, the one man Adam. Number two, that death spread to all people, so all people will die both physically and spiritually. But here's the controversial part. It's the very end of that. In Adam, all sinned. All sinned in Adam. Now, the first two two truths are fairly easy to understand. It's the third truth which has caused much confusion. What does it mean that all sinned in Adam? Well, there have been three major views in church history in how to interpret this verse. View one, we call the imitation view, or you can call it the Pelagian view. This is the view that Pelagius had, imitation. Basically, it's the idea that all people will eventually commit actual sins because they simply followed Adam's example in the garden. In other words, this interpretation is that all sinned in imitation like Adam did. They copied or imitated his sin. And so um, all people are born spiritually neutral. People are born morally neutral. There is no guilt or sin that people have inherited from Adam. You're born um, in a condition that's basically a blank slate. And so you can choose to sin by following Adam's example and what he did in the garden. And when you do that, then you actually commit your first sin. This was the popular view of um, Pelagius. Uh, Pelagius basically denied original sin. He thought it was blasphemous. He actually says basically this. Uh, Pelagius said, quote, A sin propagated by generation is totally contrary to the Catholic faith. Sin is not born with man, but is committed afterwards by man. It's not the fault of nature, but of free will. That's a key statement. That's Pelagianism in his own words in a nutshell. Sin is not born with man, but is committed afterwards by man. It's not the fault of nature, but of free will. Obviously, the imitation view, the Pelagian view, was considered heresy by three church councils, the Council of Carthage, Ephesus, and Orange. All right, what's view number two? View number two is we inherit a sin nature from Adam, which makes us corrupt, And that nature leads us to eventually commit actual sins. Now, I don't disagree with this, but I think there's more to what Paul's teaching. Paul does not say that all people inherited a sin nature, which is true, but that all sinned. He refers to the act of committing actual sins instead of merely a corrupted nature. Now, this view is called the original sin view. And it's the orthodox view of original sin. It was held by the early church father Chrysostom, John Calvin, Cranfield, Dunn, 
all these people hold to original sin. So we are born with a corrupt nature. But there is one step further. There's a third view that I think that this passage is talking about. And that's what I call imputation. And I think it's important to understanding Paul's argument in Romans 5 because original sin and original guilt is imputed to us by Adam and we're born with that guilt and thus we need a righteousness from outside of us to be imputed also to us by faith in Christ. And I think that's Paul's argument there. So what do we mean by imputation? Not only do we inherit a sinful nature from Adam, But his guilt in the garden was imputed or credited to us so that we are born guilty for his sin. Adam was our federal head. What he did in the garden as our representative not only gave us a sinful nature, but also made us born guilty of his sin, even though we were not yet born or had committed any sin on our own. This view is called original guilt. This is the historic reform view held by such scholars as Charles Hodge, Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Stott, James Montgomery Boyce, John Piper, and others. Okay? Now, another question that's brought up is, why do people die? Because of their own sin or as a result of Adam's? 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22, For as by a man came death by man, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Okay, So what we, we do inherit a sinful nature from Adam. But is that what actually condemns us? Does a mere sin nature make us guilty or is it something deeper? What actually makes us guilty before God and subject to death is the fact that every single person has sinned in Adam, and as such, we're all held guilty of his sin. So, we are dead. We are all born spiritually dead because of Adam, and we will eventually die physically because of Adam. Now, it's very important here to think about uh, the rest of this passage of Scripture because it talks about guilt. What condemns us? This is the question again of this podcast. What condemns us? Is it merely rejecting the gospel when it's presented to you? Or is there something fundamentally that you're born with in Adam that makes you guilty and condemned for your sins before a holy God? Paul continues in that passage of Scripture down in verse 16, Romans 5, 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Adam's one sin brought the judgment of condemnation for all humans. All those who've trusted in Christ for salvation receive the free gift of justification. Now here's an important point. Paul does not say that humans are condemned because of their own personal sins but we enter the world already condemned or guilty because of Adam's sin. Now, it's a both and. We are held guilty and liable because of Adam's sin, and we're also held guilty and liable because of the actual sins that we've committed. It's both. 
our non-reformed brothers and sisters don't want to concede that we're guilty for Adam's sin. They want to say that we're guilty for committing our own sins. And in this podcast, it seems like Leighton Flowers is saying what only really condemns you is just rejecting the gospel. Not a failure to obey God's law, not even committing personal sins. Okay, Romans 5.17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of the grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. And then verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So the condemnation comes from being born in Adam, inheriting his guilt as our federal representative in the garden. What he did is what we did in the sense that his guilt is reckoned or imputed to us so that we are born not only with a sin nature inherited from Adam, but a guilt and condemnation inherited from Adam. And this corresponds to what Jesus says, that you're condemned already. He didn't come to condemn you because you're already born in Adam as one condemned because of Adam's sin. Jesus came to overcome that condemnation. And when you believe in him through faith alone in Christ, you move out from under that condemnation and you receive the free gift of salvation. If you rely upon works of the law, you are under condemnation. So not only are you condemned for being in Adam, not only are you condemned for being born in sin, but you're also condemned for failure to obey God's law perfectly. So we need to obey God's law perfectly. Now, here's a question. If sinners are condemned solely on the basis of how they responded to the words of Jesus, then what happens to those who die in unreached places who've never had the chance to hear the gospel so that they could either reject or accept Jesus? Are they condemned on something they never had the opportunity to hear? In other words, John 12, 48, you will be condemned on the final day for rejecting my word, Jesus says. Second Thessalonians, they perish because they refuse to accept the truth. Okay, what about a person who was never given the words of Jesus, was never given the truth of the gospel, and so they could not reject that word or that gospel because they never heard it? Why does that person go to hell? Does that person go to hell or does that person go to heaven? Because it seems like logically, if the only, the sole, the ultimate reason a person is condemned is because their failure to accept Christ's words or accept the gospel, then a person who's never heard that or had the chance to reject it, the logical implication would be, well, that person gets a free pass and they get to go to heaven because they are only judged by rejecting the gospel. And if they never heard the gospel so as to reject the gospel, then they must by logic of that thinking, be going to heaven. Now we know that the historical orthodox view is that all those who die without conscious faith in Christ alone will spend eternity in hell perishing. They do not go to hell because they refuse to obey the truth because they never had a chance to refuse it. They go to hell just like everybody that goes to hell 
primarily because of inherited guilt from Adam, original sin from Adam, their personal sins that they committed in the body to which they're accountable to, and a failure to obey God's law. Whether or not they ever heard about Jesus, or whether or not they ever had a chance to reject or accept the words of Christ, they go to hell based upon sin, a sin nature and actual sins committed and a failure to obey God's law. So there's a caveat there that if you take this, if you take this teaching that the sole only ultimate reason a person is condemned, a person goes to hell, is because they refuse to obey the truth or they rejected Jesus' words, then what about the person that's never heard? It would seem that logically they get a free pass and they go to heaven because they're only judged on rejecting the gospel of which they never heard and had a chance to reject. It's not based upon their sin. So here's the answer to the ultimate question of condemnation. Every single person is born fallen in Adam in a condition where the totality of our beings are corrupted and depraved. We call this total depravity, radical corruption, original sin. In addition, we're also born guilty and under condemnation as children of wrath like the rest of mankind, Paul says in Ephesians 2.3. So we also inherit original guilt from Adam. And so our sinful condition and inherited guilt is what condemns us to hell. Yet, we also commit actual sins that flow out of that sinful condition, and these will be the basis of our judgment. So we will be judged based upon our works, and those works of unrighteousness flow from a nature that's unrighteous. Paul would say this in Romans 2, 5-11, through 11, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So he's talking about the day of judgment. He will render to each one according to his works. To the one who's by patience and well-doing, seeks for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greeks, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. There will be a day of final judgment upon all unrepentant sinners. They're storing up wrath. And verse 6 says, He will render to each according to his works. God will render or pay back each one according to his works. So there is the judgment that we are held accountable for our works. The actual sins that we commit and the actual failure to obey God's law that we're supposed to. Negatively and positively. We positively commit sins against God and we negatively fail to live up to the demands of the law. And we see this judgment of works all throughout the scripture. Psalm 62, 12. O Lord, to you belong steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Proverbs 24, 12. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch of your soul know, know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? 
Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Revelation 22, 12, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So, there is a judgment based upon your works. So let's, let's keep building this case here. What condemns a person? You are born sinful, inheriting original sin and corruption and depravity from Adam. You're born in that condition. In addition, you're born guilty because of Adam's sin in the garden. You're born under condemnation. You're born a child of wrath. And from that nature flow actual sins that you commit in the body to which you will be judged for. And you must obey God's law perfectly, for that is the righteous standard. Yet, in addition to all those, if a person does reject the gospel and does not trust in Christ for salvation, they will perish and they will be held accountable for rejecting Christ and they will be judged on the final day for rejecting Jesus. But that's not the only ultimate reason for going to hell or being condemned. It's a portion of the reason. It's part of the reason, but there are many factors. Again, the main reason a person stands condemned and goes to hell is because of total depravity as a condition from birth, as well as committing actual sins. A person is also condemned for not obeying the law perfectly, which God requires a person is also condemned for not believing in Jesus. A person is also condemned for refusing to believe the truth. There are many reasons for our condemnation. So let me just give you six in summation. And this is a comprehensive view, okay? So we're not going to limit it to what was limited in this podcast that Leighton Flowers did, that the only reason is for rejecting the truth or, or, or failure to accept Christ as Savior. That's a portion of it. Let me give you the six. Number one, what's the reason for our condemnation? Number one, our sinful nature inherited from Adam. Number two, our inherited guilt from Adam. Number three, our inability to keep God's law perfectly. We will be judged for failure to keep God's law. Cursed are all those who rely on works of the law. Number four, our individual sins that we commit in the body, we will be held responsible for. Number five, a refusal of the truth so as to be saved. And number six, a rejection of Jesus when presented the gospel. Now, let's talk about the, the reverse of this, okay? So this is the condition of an unsaved, unregenerate, lost person who dies, Okay, so what happens in salvation? What happens in regeneration? What happens in the beauty of the gospel? All these things are reversed. Okay, so our sinful nature inherited from Adam, we are regenerated. We are given a new nature. We are born again. Our guilt from Adam has been taken away. We are justified freely. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Our inability to keep the law perfectly, which condemns us, 
Cursed are all those who rely upon the law. But Jesus was cursed by hanging on a tree. And when we trust in him, that curse, that condemnation is reversed. And God looks upon us as if we had perfectly kept all of his holy law because of the active obedience of Christ in keeping that law perfectly being imputed or reckoned to us through justification by faith alone. All those individual sins that we committed, those sins are forgiven. They're nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. And so we will not be held accountable for the individual sins that we committed because we've trusted Christ for salvation. That cannot be said for a person who dies. And then it brings up the problem too. If that's the only reason, rejection of Christ it brings up a major problem for those that have never heard the gospel. You're creating a, a, a loophole or a second way of salvation or a way of saying that uh, original guilt, original sin, a failure to obey God's law, even if it's written on the conscience of that person who's never heard, they're not accountable for those things. Those things aren't going to be the reason they're sent to hell. Uh, they're going to get to go to heaven because the only reason you're sent to hell, the only reason you're condemned is because of your failure to accept Christ's words and receive the truth of the gospel and believe in Jesus. So hopefully this podcast has shed some light on what actually condemns us. And so if you're listening to this, the main point is you don't want to be under condemnation. You want to come out from being under the curse of relying on works of the law. And how do you do that? You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You call upon him to be saved. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So call upon the name of Jesus. Cast yourself at his mercy alone to save you. Acknowledge that you are a guilty sinner that stands condemned before a holy God, and God has every right to judge you and condemn you based upon not only your nature, but the actual works that you've done. And will you cast yourself at Christ's mercy to forgive you of all your sins? He stands ready, willing, and able as a perfect Savior to receive all who would come to him in repentance and faith. Would you come to Christ today? Well, thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. You can do me a favor by giving a positive review and rating on iTunes or the different places that you listen to this. I'm so thankful for my listeners. Please contact me if you have any questions. You can go to seancole.net to get some contact information. I'd love to hear from you and um, answer some questions that you may have. Until next time, May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And will we all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus.